God is good, amen. amen. God is good, amen. amen. So I want to tell you, uh, I had a semi-pro football opportunity. Uh, but I know by looking at me, you might not believe that. Uh, but there's more to these arms than meets the eye. Deion Sanders, we all know who Deion Sanders is. Deion Sanders uh, was playing against the Colts one time, and he was doing a, a, a punt return. And he catches the ball, and he's, he's going right, he's going left, he's, he's weaving in and out of traffic, and he's making his way down the field, and nobody's stopping him. And he's got one person between the goal and him, and that's the kicker. Most people, like Deion Sanders, get past the kicker, but not this day. The kicker for the Colts was Hunter Smith. Hunter Smith stops Deion Sanders just short of the goal line with a powerful hit. Hunter Smith was my camp counselor when I was 13 years old. We played a game, counselors versus campers, water ball, and it was basically a volleyball in the pool. The campers would try to get the ball to this end. The counselors would try to get the ball to this end. I had the ball. I was going towards the goal line. I was close to it. I was weaving in and out of traffic. And Hunter Smith was there between me and the goal. And he plastered me into the water. So Hunter Smith tackled Deion Sanders. And Hunter Smith tackled me. So I feel like Deion Sanders and I are kind of the same. <laughs> I feel like I've had this semi-pro football experience and coaches looking at me like, nah. <laughs> but the main thing that Hunter Smith left with me that summer camp, other than a lot of water in my lungs, is a thought that I want to share with y'all today. He's gathered us all around and uh, he set us down and he was talking with us and at this time he was kicking for Notre Dame and he was talking about his, his camp experience, his work uh, camp experience for, for football, and he was going over how strenuous it was, how hot it was, how hard it was, and how tiring it was. And he said when he, his freshman year, when he got there, he didn't know anybody, and he felt alone, and he was just worn out. And he started to think about something. He started to think at, at the snap of the ball, at the blow of a whistle, at any moment in this game, he could shatter his leg, he could break something, and it would be over. And he asked himself, up until this point, what was he about? What, who was he? Who was Hunter Smith? And he said, up until this point, football was everything. And he would wonder who he was if the whistle blew and he was damaged to where he could never play football again. He wondered who he would be if he could never step on the field, be it a practice. He wondered what his identity was about, and that stuck with me ever since. He said, if you take away football, there's still me there. Just who is it? And we think about our identities we wonder who we are. We, we, we search for identities at different times and stages of our life. 
we think about it. When they're in junior high and high school, our identity seems to be wrapped up in, in maybe the friends we have or, or maybe the extracurricular activities we, we do, we play, the, the football games, the baseball, or uh, the drama, the theater. It, we, we, we search for our identity, and then we continue as we get older. Uh, we start thinking maybe our identity is in our job, our profession, or the, the titles we have before or after our name. We start thinking maybe, maybe this is who I am. And we go to work to fulfill the need of uh, financially taking care of our family, but we're also starting to fill this need of who we are and what we're about, and, and we start to see that we're identified with our job or our profession or our position in life. In fact, we introduce ourselves that way or introduce our friends that way. We, we say their name, but then we follow that with he works there or she works here or she does this or he does that. But if you take that away, if you wake up one morning, you go to the office and you're laid off. You wake up one morning and, and, and that's over. You're retired maybe. Who are you if that's gone? If you take that away, there's still you there, but who are you? Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe you're, you're a father or a son or a daughter or a mother or a husband or a wife. Maybe you're a, a grandparent. Maybe that's kind of where you see your identity. But the moment that goes away, the moment you lose your father or your mother, the moment you lose your children somehow, the moment you lose your spouse, you're stuck with still the question, there's still me here, but who is this me? A lot of people put their identity in where they play citizenship. I'm an American. Or for us Texans, we more likely say, I'm a Texan, right? One of the few states that puts their flag on everything and anything. Coffee mugs, uh, bumper stickers, whatever. One of the bumper stickers that I, I, I vaguely remember uh, when I moved here, and, and it stuck with me, is I was not born in Texas, but I got here as quick as possible. But maybe we identify ourselves as an American, as a Texan. But if we move and you take that away, who are you? Maybe it's the color of your skin. That we see the color of each other's skin, and maybe that's our identity. I had the privilege and the honor to be able to go to Southwestern Christian College uh, in Terrell, Texas, and graduate there with a biblical studies degree. While there, I was the only white American citizen as a student. My buddies called me White Mike. <laughs> I guess they did not know my first name was not Mike. <laughs> but there I discovered identities more than skin color. You can take that away. You can go to the tanning bed or you can stay all the way out of the sun. You can change your complexion, but you're still you. But who are you? Recently, these last couple of years, sexual identity has been a term. We have taken sexual orientation and turned it into sexual identity. That that kind of sounds like a Freud way of thinking, in it? That everything that, uh, that you are is wrapped up in sex. But is it? Aren't we more than that? If you take that out of the picture, 
Who are you? I had a uh, art class when I was in college. This was a different college. I went to six colleges. It's really confusing. Uh, this one one art class had to. We had to bring in a painting, or take a picture of a painting and bring it in. We had to interpret it, um, which I, I thought was kind of weird, you know. So I bring in this painting, and we're talking about it, and the class is talking about. It. We're interpreting what the artist felt, what the artist thought about, what what the artist was was doing and thinking and going through in life when I, they were painting it, and. And I'm sitting here disagreeing because this is the painting I bring. And my art teacher's like, really? Are you sure? Because I really see this. Look at the colors. Look at this. Look at the shading and all that. More than I know about art. And it was going on and on about their interpretation. I was like, it's wrong. And she's like, how do you know it's wrong? I said, because it's my mom's painting. I brought it. I asked her before I came why she painted it. <laughs> so in the moment of, of trying to show how well I interpreted art, I actually showed that I cheated uh, and went straight to the source. Let's go straight to the source. Let's go to Psalms 139. Psalms 139. Starting in verse 1. Lord, you have searched me. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You've received my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, you know it completely. And you hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too large, too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night and day will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. Verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. Before one of them came to be. How precious to me are you her thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This writer here says, Lord, you know me. This is where it gets tough. You may wake up in the morning and you, you look in the mirror and you start to kind of see things. You start to kind of look at yourself and, and you're giving your hair the, the comb over or the, the head polish, depending on who you are. And you're sitting there and you're starting to know different things. You're starting to notice that, 
that, that man, there's, there's some gray hairs popping up. I had one show up on my neck the other day. I don't understand that, all right? You start seeing these gray hairs. You start noticing a, a few wrinkles. You start looking in the mirror. And you start realizing you don't really like your teeth or your smile. You don't really like the way your eyes sit. You, you, you wish you were maybe, maybe thinner or stronger. You wish you were taller or shorter. You start examining yourself. And in that moment, Satan has got you in his trap. He is making you identify yourself as unworthy, unloved, and you're not liking what you see. But he doesn't stop there. He starts in on the inward. He starts saying, hey, look at these mistakes that you've been through. Look at these things you've done. You might start thinking about what you've done that last week and how you should have done something a little bit better. Maybe you got in an argument with your spouse and how you should have treated them better or differently. And you start seeing this and you start identifying these things within you and you start saying, man, this, is, this isn't good. And, and then Satan continues to whisper and continues to say, this is who you are. They told her this is who she was. Scripture doesn't give her a name. Jesus never called her this, but they told her this is who she was, and this is how we identify her, the woman caught in adultery. She's standing there before everybody, and that is the label. That is what's put on her. Everybody is ready to cast stones at her, and she is identified by them and probably more than likely by herself as an adulterer. And this is what Satan does to us. He starts amplifying our sins in those moments. He starts saying, this is who you are. Jared, this is who you are. You're a glutton. You stand before the refrigerator and you open the door and you fill your belly up until it's full. Then you continue and you continue and you don't take care of yourself. That's who you are, Jared. And Satan then starts taking your sin and saying, this is you, that you are defined by it. And you think, I've got to live up to those expectations. But you can take that away, and who are you? There have been times where I've heard people carry the label as divorce. Whether they've had a biblical reason or unbiblical reason, they struggle. They look in the mirror and Satan is telling them that they are damaged, that they are broken, that they are less of a person, that their identity is wrapped up in that brokenness, that they are a divorcee. Maybe it's an addiction that Satan has you looking in the mirror that's coming back at you. You look in the mirror and all you see is your porn addiction. That you look there and you see perversion. You see the, the, the struggle that you've been walking through. And that's real. And that's in this room. There are people who are struggling with that. And they look in the mirror and the reflection back to them is a porn addict. And they allow that to define them. And say, this is who you are. But is it? Or a drug addict or an alcoholic. I think there are wonderful programs out there like Celebrate Recovery and AA that, that walk with people, that, that share in the life of people and try to get them out of those addictions. One of the things that I, I've heard in different programs, that, and, and they're in some and not in others, that I, I disagree with is this. My name is Jared, and I'm 
an alcoholic, and I've been sober for eight years. It's like they have to wear this identity of that's who they are. Or I'm Jared, I'm an alcoholic, and I've been sober for one day. That they place that, that, that struggle, that sin in their life as that's who they are. They introduce themselves as this is me, and that is the lie that's happening in the bathroom. When you look in the mirror and the reflection comes back, that Satan is here whispering, saying, this is who you are. Your sin, your mistake, your struggles, it's defining you. You can't get past it. And in our culture, in these last couple of years, especially with the political season coming to, to an end, if it ever really ends, dealing with same-sex attraction, I want, I want you to imagine real quick with me. I want you to imagine you're a parent. And your kid comes to you and he says, and, and he's in his teenage years, and he comes to you and he says, I'm having these thoughts, I'm having these struggles, I don't understand it. I'm not attracted to the opposite sex. I just don't, I don't get it. I, I'm scared. I don't understand. He tells a friend that he's close to, that friend tells a friend that they're close to, by the time you get to church on Sunday, the word is out. Everybody's coming up, bombarding you about, hey, your, your, your son's gay? What, what's going on? What, what, what's wrong? What did you do wrong? Like, they're, they're bombarding you with these questions. All the while, your, your son was supposed to help in children's worship that, that Sunday, and, and he was kicked out. Because he was seen as a pervert. Like this is, this is the language, this is the things that have been going on these last couple years in America. This is, this is the tension that we see. Some time passes. You as a parent are trying to walk this out and figure this out. You have anger, you have resentment, you have struggles. You're asking God why, what, where, what's going on? And your son, one day, you find him laying in his room. He's unresponsive. You shake him. You try to wake him up, but he doesn't come to. You call medical emergency. They come, and you're on your way to the hospital, and they get him, they get him stabilized. And I see you. He comes to. He looks up at you, and all you see is that little boy you brought home that day. All you see is your baby that you have so much love for. And he whispers, I'm sorry, Dad. And you all begin a discussion over the next couple of days. And his problem, his problem is he has been looking in the mirror and he has been listening to society and he has been listen, listening to good-hearted people who are trying to walk with Christ. And he is saying, you know what, Dad, this... This is my identity. This is who I am. And it's not accepted. It's not good. It's not, I have no place at the table with Jesus. And if I don't have that and I'm so confused, I just thought, why not end this? Because I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. And you as a parent start to wrestle with your son saying, no, son, 
this is not who you are. He says, but it is. It is who I am, Dad. This is what they're telling me. This is who I am. Everybody's telling me, no, son, this is not who you are. And he looks up with tears coming down his face, and he says, Dad, who am I? Who am I then? Maybe you're 25, 26, 27-year-old daughter. She comes in. She's been gone. She's been off to college. She comes back. She's graduated. She's, she's doing well. She's married. But she sits down with you and your spouse, and she begins to sob and begins to weep, and you don't know why. You have no clue why. But you're now weeping with her because she is your little girl. And she finally takes a breath. You wipe off the tears. You wipe off the snot running down her face. You're holding her. And you say, what's wrong? What is going on? She said, you need to know something. When I was a teenager, I snuck out and I went to a party. And while I was at that party, I don't know what happened. But I became pregnant. And I was scared. I was scared what people would think of me. I was scared if, if I would have a place. I was scared of who I would be. I, I knew I wasn't ready to be a mom, but I didn't know what else to do. And after talking with some friends, it seemed like the right thing to do. And I was confused. And so I had an abortion. And ever since then, Mom, I've, I've not been able to find my place. Ever since then, I've been heard that I'm a baby killer, that I'm a murderer. And when I look in the mirror, that is what I see. When I sit at church, that is what I feel. And Satan is just whispering to her. Your identity is wrapped up in your mistake. Your identity is wrapped up in your sin. Your identity is wrapped up in that. And this mom begins to pray over her child. And this dad is speechless, but sits there quietly in angst, wondering what to say, what to do. This woman, young woman, continues to sob, saying, but this is who I am. I've heard people call me this. This is who I am. The mom looks at her and says, no, this is not who you are. She responds, but who am I? The thing I love about Psalms 139 is this. Is that the writer here says, Lord, you have searched me. You know me. You know everything there is to know about me. Everything. And this is David who, who's made a lot of mistakes. Who's committed adultery and murder. Right? This is David who has... has not, knew sin in his life and knew what it felt like and dealt with. And he looks at this, this, this being, this God, and he says, you know everything there is to know about me. You know it all. But let's jump back to verse 14. 
But David doesn't take on the identity of adulterer. He doesn't take on the identity of a murderer. He doesn't take on the identity of someone who's lost. He says this in verse 14. It says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully. That's his response. He's looking in the mirror and he says, God knows everything there is about this man coming back at me. He knows it all. But I, am, I praise God because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm not saying that it is okay to sin. And I'm not saying that, that sin is, is fine in our lives and we can continue to do that. Paul says, shall we go on, go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we die to sin. Therefore, we shall no longer live in it. What I'm saying is that our identity is not wrapped up in our sin. Amen? I told you I went to Southwestern Christian College. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Our identity is not wrapped up there. And this writer says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, how are we made? Go to Genesis. Let's go back to the garden where, where God is constantly drawing us back to. He is constantly trying to help us to be more and more like the moments in the garden. Let's go back to the garden in Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Created in the image of God, Right? Wonderfully and fearfully made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God. And at the, at the beginning part of that, verse 26, there's this, there's this plurality, this us, this our going on there, right? And we know because we, we go to John chapter 1 and we read the remix of Genesis 1. That's all it is, is a remix of, of Genesis 1. And we see that this us, this our, this, this is Jesus that we are made in the image of Christ. That we are made in His image. Go to Ephesians 2, chapter 10, or chapter 10, verse 2. Sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We'll back up a little bit. Let's go to 8. Read it all later. I always refer to Ephesians. And one thing I like about Ephesians is the people that they're dealing with. The people here in Ephesus have, have, are, are, are some rough characters, more than likely. This town was known for, for taking kids that, that weren't accepted by that culture as being perfect or great, or they were unwanted children, and they were, they were cast out, they were pushed aside, they were set aside to the bottom of a, of a mountainside, and people would come along, slave owners would come along and pick up these children and they would put them into slavery. Men would go into the workforce and, and women into prostitution and, and at some point these people would come in these people called Christ followers, Christians would come in and they would pick up these babies and they would take them home and they would 
be their godparents, and they would nurture them and love on them. And so this, this town, Ephesus, and this church has, has people from different backgrounds, but it has a lot of unwanted people, a lot of people who say, who are we? Verse 8 in chapter 2, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, not by works so that one can boast. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork. Some translations say masterpiece. We are his handiwork, his masterpiece, created in what? In Christ Jesus. There's your identity. Who are you? Who are you? When you look in the mirror, you start seeing your, your complexion. You start seeing your hair. You start seeing your weight or lack of it, your height or lack of it. You start seeing these different things. You start seeing your mistakes. You start seeing your sin. Who are you? You are identified as being made and created wonderfully and magnificently in the image of God through Christ Jesus. Who's your identity? That's it. You're not made in the image of of your sin. You're not made in the image of your mistakes. You are made in the image of Christ. Our identity is not in our jobs, our relationships. Our identity is not in whether we have money or don't have money. Our identity is not in whether we're black, white, Hispanic, Asian. It doesn't, it's not in that. It's, it, it's not in the house we live in. It's not in that. Nor is it in our mistakes. Nor is it in our sin. Our identity is in Christ Jesus. There's this French guy whose name I cannot pronounce. Uh, he said this. Pour me la porte, passez la bure, s'il vous plaît. I'm just joking. He did not say that. That's the shut the door, please pass the butter. Uh, <laughs> The only French I know is that and from la bouche, which is shut your mouth. My mom taught me that. Go figure. <laughs> that was our comical breath, so we can go to the next thing. He said this. We are not merely human beings having a spiritual experience. We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. You with me? We are not made in the image of this world. We are made in the image of Christ, who is a spiritual being first. We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. This word hypocrite has been used often. And a lot of times it's used often against us. Like those who uh, claim to be Christian but are acting like the world. Right? I would like to, to, to do a, a flip on, on this. And this might get a little confusing, but stay with me for a second. I would like to move where we place the hypocrisy. All right? We say it's those who are claiming to be made in Christ but are acting like they're. Uh, they're acting, or acting like they're made to be Christ, but they're, they're living in the world. I would say it's those who are really and truly made in the image of Christ, that that's who they are, but they are acting as if they're made in the image of this world, that that's the hypocrisy. Okay, case in point, this won't make sense possibly, but just bear with me. 
Sometimes when I see a really hard person, and when I say hard, I mean they could beat you up in a second and not even think about it. I think, what a poser. What a pretender. This is what I mean. He's really a child of God. He just thinks he's of the world. He just thinks he's tough. Now, he could still whoop me, no, no doubt. But you with me? Like, like, he is not made in the image of this thug. He is made in the image of God. He has just been told that he's supposed to pretend and live out being in the image of the world. He's being a hypocrite. All right? He's acting as what, in a way that he was not intended to be. Sometimes we act in ways that we are not intended to be. We pretend to be something we're not. And when we identify ourselves as these sins, or we identify ourselves as this is who I am by my job, by my relationships, by my skin color, by my sexual orientation, when we we're pretending because we're truly and wonderfully and magnificently made we are his masterpiece made in the image of Christ. That is our identity. Case in point, there's a celebrity whose name I will not mention, but I want to tell a story real quick. He, uh, he knew God. He knew Christ at a young age. He was talented. He had great ability. He had great personality. And so... The world saw him and said, we want to make you an idol. We want to make you a celebrity. And so he was thrown into this celebrityness quickly at a young age. And like all young celebrities or also celebrities, they have so much push on you need to act and look and, and live a certain way. And so he stopped believing that he was made of Christ and he started believing he was made in the image of this world and he started living more in the image of this world and he started acting more in the image of this world and there was tons of news about all the negative stuff he had done and he's sitting there one night and he starts to fall apart and he starts to wonder who am I who is this person looking back in the mirror because all he could see was somebody that was made in the image of this world and began to break down and sob. And he just knew there was something more to him than that, that that wasn't who he was. And so he called up a minister friend of his, and the minister came over in, in the middle of the night, and they began to pray, and they began to sob, and they began to talk, and they began to walk through things. And he, in this moment, said, I need to find my identity again. I need to be who I was created to be. So through a series of events, they end up in an NBA basketball player's hotel room, like all celebrities are able to do, for a baptism. In the middle of the night, in this huge bathtub, this person who had lost who he was says, I need to be identified with Christ. And he immersed himself, and he came out into that new life that new identity who are you when you look at the mirror you're not those things and when you look at others who are they together collectively we are called the bride of Christ 
We are not called the bride of this world. We are called the bride of Christ. We need not to pretend to be the bride of this world. We need to know that our identity is in Christ and we are his bride. And we need to remind people that they are made in the image of Jesus, not in the image of their sin. Are you with me? May you look in the mirror and see Christ. May you look at your neighbor and see Christ. May you look at a stranger and see Christ. Because we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. If you need any encouragement, if you're struggling with this, please come and talk with someone. If not here in this moment, maybe you have a close friend here that you can pull aside this week and say, listen, I've been identifying myself as a glutton or a porn addict or a drug addict or an adulterer. I've been identifying myself as a gossiper or a liar, and I have been playing every bit of that role, and I don't want to play that role anymore. I want to live who I'm called to be, and that is Christ. If you need anything, come as we stand and as we sing.